Good morning. I want to welcome all of you this morning to our worship service here on Sunday morning. Um, this morning as we begin our service, if you have a bulletin, I'd like to kind of just go through a little bit. Um, kids, don't, uh, kids Church happening at 1045 and also a note there for the trunk or treat that is going to be on October 31st. Uh, I was reminded that there is a sign-up sheet in the, in the foyer for, for those that want to participate. And so please fill out the form, uh, sign up there on that sheet that has put, been put out there. Also, continue to pray for the ongoing ministries here at El Paso Bible Church, the youth, the women's, the men's, uh, Sunday mornings, kids' churches, all the, all the ones that are mentioned there on your bulletin. In preparation for the pastor's message this morning, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, as I read just a couple of passages of Romans chapter 11. Looking at verses 28 and 29, we read, Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are, irrevoc are irrevocable. Let's pray. Our Father God, we are most grateful this morning for the word that's going to be presented to us, Lord. For the music, Father, that helps us prepare our hearts and praise and worship and thanking you, Father, for the work of the cross on our behalf. So many things, Father, that took place, Father, that only you could have prepared him before heaven. In, in heaven, Father, and we know, Lord, that um, we're looking forward for that day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for us. And what a blessed day that's going to be. In the meantime, Lord, we depend on your, on your grace and your provision and your love and your sustenance and your help. And all these things, Lord, to help us through our daily lives and... And Father, for those that are not here with us, Lord, for whatever reason, pray that you will uh, just bring them to our, back to our fold, Father, for the next, next time we worship together. And Lord, as we pray, we just ask, Father, for your, just to continue eye on the conflict that is going on in the Middle East, Father, that you will put an end to this conflict, uh, you know, according to your will, and Father, that... Um, all these things, Father, that we pray for, Father, that you, we know that you listen, listen to us, Lord, and, and you help us, Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, on all things that we pray for. And, and we thank you so much for this morning once again, Lord, as we just lift up the name of Jesus and pray that you'll be glorified in the midst. In Christ's name I pray. Good morning, everyone. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? Who tells the sun to rise every morning With the shades of his glory Breaks us with mercy and love Jesus does 
the orphan, comforts the widow, cries for injustice, feels every sorrow, carries the pain of his children, Jesus does.
Well, good morning. morning. Y'all are doing well this morning. Uh, Children, you guys can go to Children's Church if that's what you're doing today. A couple things we need to remember. I put out a little, I'm not sure if I put it everywhere, the announcement, uh, and it's not a a must-have, if you understand what I'm saying, but I would like to have the opportunity. I'm going to set this back here, Jacob. I don't know where I should set it. Apparently, I didn't make a microphone holder up here on this pulpit, uh, but anyway. Um, and that is on November 12th, I think it is, ladies, remind me, November 12th is the, the Thanksgiving potluck. Is that the day? So that's actually two Sundays before the actual day of Thanksgiving, so you're not in a turkey coma from the potluck the day you're supposed to be enjoying Thanksgiving dinner. That's why we do that, okay? But on November 12th, I'd like to offer the opportunity, if you'd like to give a testimony to thankfulness, something you're thankful for to God. Um, I hate to put a limit on your thankfulness, but we're going to cap it at two minutes, but you can only do two seconds if that's what you want to do. Is that reasonable enough? Because I want to give as many people as want to do it opportunity. So two minutes, roughly, more or less, on November 12th, but I'd like for you to let me know uh, if you want to do that so I can schedule what I'm going to say around that. Um, and if y'all end up preaching the message that day, then that's what the Lord hath wrought, and we will not argue. Right? No? Yeah, you'll realize we try not to argue with God here at El Paso Bible Church. We try. Um, anyway, so you want to do that. Um, and that's, that's coming up fairly quickly, so please let me know fairly quickly if you'd like to do it. Uh, there will be limited opportunity for, um, what do they call it, impromptu uh, testimonies, but we're going to limit those, all right? So, for planning purposes, let me know. Uh, but we do need to pray this morning, as Ernie pointed out, there's still conflict going on, um, and we don't apologize for identifying the side that we want to win at El Paso Bible Church. Uh, we pray for the enemies of Israel to be destroyed, and so we're going to do that today. Uh, Father, thank you for this day. We do thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that is unconditionally evident in our lives. And we thank you for the precedent for it because of your unconditional grace to the nation descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Father, we know that you have declared, you have declared that it is your will that their enemies would be defeated and destroyed and removed from the land. Ultimately, Father, we can't think of a better way to pray than to pray that you would bring that about and that they would live at peace in their land of their heritage. And so we ask for that today. We do ask for righteous violence and the capacity and the endurance in executing it in order that victory would be achieved. Father, we pray now uh, that in our context that you would give us the courage to do what you ask us to do. Um, according to your word here in Second Peter, as we focus on that and growing in grace and what that means for our daily lives, our daily decisions, and our daily work. Father, we thank you for that as well. And it's your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Second Peter here uh, this morning, Second Peter 1, 10 to 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Um, I don't necessarily... Uh, Think, uh, I mean, you can hold me accountable for what it says, but you ought to follow along unless you have it memorized. 
If you have 2 Peter memorized chapter and verse, then feel free to leave your Bible closed. Uh, but otherwise, grab the one in the pew behind you because we do talk about specific words and specific phrases. And uh, it will help you, I think, to have those in front of you. I don't know about you, but I, I remember things in books because of the damage I wreak on a book, right? The wrinkle, the folded ear, the crinkle, the torn page with the tape on it and the highlighter or whatever. And so uh, that helps me even in my Bible. Um, and my, my Catholic relatives are horribly appalled that I would do such a thing. Uh, but I remember where the stuff is in the Bible and they don't. So I'm just saying. Um, no criticism necessarily, but there is a difference in, uh, in the retention. So do that. Uh, we're talking about growing in grace here in 2 Peter, and we're still relatively near the beginning of the book. Uh, and it's, remember, it's written to a broader audience. It's written to a broader audience than 1 Peter. 1 Peter was geographically limited. It was actually diverse, but written all to those churches in Turkey, in Asia Minor, uh, written to them under certain circumstances generally that they shared. And this book, as we'll see, is written uh, to those all of those, functionally, who share a like faith with the apostles. So that's you and me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a like faith. In other words, now remember, that's the noun verb, the noun form. That's not talking about God giving you the capacity to believe something. It's talking about the substance of teaching and doctrine that he's given you to receive, and we've received that with them. And so we're part of this audience in a very real sense, um, and it does sound a little different than First Peter. That's okay. A different audience. Uh, we're not going to let that throw us off there, but it covers a good bit of diverse material in a short book. Uh, in a short book, really. But the theme, despite the diversity of the way it's talked about, is really growing in grace. How are you going to respond in life to difficulties, to false teaching, to all the things that we suffer in this life according to God's grace that we've received. And Peter starts with that. He says, God has gifted you with everything that you need, everything that you need for life and godliness. Now he's talking to believers. Believers have a problem believing this sometimes, right? When we say believers, we're talking about somebody who has received eternal life, somebody who's been justified, who is going to heaven when they die, for to use kind of the colloquialism for it, an identity that is in Christ. But people like that, as we looked at last week, can forget who they are and the advantages that it brings. And that's where many people are for many years of their lives. And so Peter explains to them the first thing that we need to do in order to grow in grace is to believe the measure of grace that God has given us. Right? That's going back, that's maybe a little remedial for some of you. It may be a new concept for others. I don't know. He is sufficient. And the gifts and the abilities, the identity, all of that that he has given us is sufficient for life and godliness in every context that we find ourselves. So do we believe that? Yeah, I do, unapologetically. The word of God is sufficient to communicate that to me by his spirit. I believe that. 
one of the things that is sufficient for my life and godliness. We need to believe that. God has done that, and it's an evidence of his power. It's not simply something that exists as a, as a secondary thing or tertiary thing in our lives. It's, it's a powerful element in our lives. And we walk around like we're, you know, I watch a lot of real, I don't know what happened to my algorithm on Instagram, guys, but I have all sorts of snake handling Appalachian Pentecostals all over my Instagram feed. Goodness gracious. That doesn't look like power to me, but it evidently has them fooled. It looks like drug addiction to me. It looks very similar to the the videos you see all over Phoenix, Arizona, of the tweakers out on the sidewalk. That's what it looks like. Here's the problem, is that believers think that the, <laughs> the Spirit of God in their lives and the gifts and godliness that he's given them looks like the tweakers on the sidewalks in Phoenix, Arizona, or downtown El Paso, or maybe not anywhere you find them. That's not what it looks like. We need to believe that God's power has been exercised in our lives. That God does that, and it is a powerful work that he has done. We believe that he's given us everything. The second is related, that what we need to understand is that when he has given it to us, we did not produce it. He gave it to us as a package. We didn't manufacture it. We don't have a maquila here for all of life and godliness. He made it, he gave it to us, and now he gives us commands for how to use it. Is that okay? Is that okay? I, I mean, I actually don't care. I'm telling you it's okay. I mean, like, you need to know the difference, you know, between, uh, but I, I want your agreement. You need to assent to that, okay? I'm not, if you don't, you're going to have problems. You need to assent to the fact that this is okay, that God has done it, and that he's given you instructions now to use it properly, and he is wise and all-knowing, all-powerful, and wants and has kindness that he wants for you in your life, nothing but good that he wants, despite your perceptions. We need to believe that we have them. We're told to supply them a certain way in the proper order. That's the list from last week to our... We can read some of it, right? Uh, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Then down in verse 5, moral excellence, moral excellence, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. He says if those qualities are yours, you will be useful. I didn't hear any cheering. This makes the difference between a Christian who is useless and a Christian who is fruitful and useful. Is there a category of people that are going to heaven when they die that are useless? Yeah. Yeah. And you have to depend on God for the definition because I can't tell you how many times I've been told that I'm useless as a believer because <laughs> I just teach the Bible. <sighs> anyway, you have to believe God's testimony about yourself. You, do do that. you need to do that. I need to do that. You believe that we have those things. 
And we need to supply them in the order God has commanded us to so that we're not rendered useless in our lives. That's quite possibly the second worst thing you could be, huh? I don't know about the women. I know women don't want to be useless either, but man, this is like central philosophy to your life, right? How to be useful. It's central to my my parenting philosophy. It's central to my marital philosophy. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be useful and fruitful so that God honors what I do in my life. And people think that I'm being mean to my children by demanding that they learn certain skills before they leave my house. You need to let them express their spirit. Give a crap about their spirit. I want them to be useful. Their spirit is going to be crushed if they're useless. Have you seen the state of masculinity in this world right now, in this country, in this city? You know why? Because they weren't demanded to be useful and fruitful by their parents, by their father in their home before they left. And now what are they? Useless and frustrated because they wasted the time of their lives where they were sponges and able to soak up new abilities, skills, and knowledge. And you can never actually remediate that completely. Your brain never works that same way. If you waste your teen years as a young man, you will never recover entirely from that. God is gracious to you, and you can recover, but it's, there's no substitute for what a father is supposed to do for his sons and his daughters, certainly, in those years. Those are the standards. You don't want to be useful, useless in the world. Therefore, we don't be useless in God's estimation. God loves his useless children, but he wants them to be joyful and useful. And if you're useless, you're not going to be joyful. Therefore, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to validate or to make certain about his calling and choosing you. That's the synthesis. Note, there is no supposed before the brethren. As far as I can tell, there never is. There's no question as to whether they're real brethren or not. These are people with the faith that is like that of the apostles that has had the power of God demonstrated in their lives so they have everything they need for life and godliness upon whom God has mandated that they supply those things in a certain order so that they're useful. Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be eager to do this. I think about like, so y'all know I don't really go to the doctor. Even if I find something wrong. I'm willing to let WebMD tell me I have cancer of everything before I go to the doctor. That's how I roll. Because I'm not eager 
to be certain about things, I'd rather be surprised. Y'all can argue with my philosophy, but I figure I've survived death, stone cold, deadly environments, incidents enough in my life that I am just here because God wills it anyway. I wouldn't be standing before you if God didn't have a plan for me. And when his plan is done, I'm gone. And I don't care if it's elbow cancer or not. I'm not eager to make certain about everything in my life, but Peter says that you need to be eager to validate or to be certain about this thing, brethren, about his calling and his choosing. Now, those are what we call appositional. If you think that's a big word, we got a bigger word for it, ep-exegetical. How do you like that? That sounds like a flaming nerd, man, everywhere you go. Just walk around saying words like ep-exegetical. But that means that they explain each other. They're mutually explanatory, appositional, two nouns together. They refer to the same thing. So that helps us, doesn't it? Because choosing, in my opinion, rarely refers, if ever, to your justification rarely refers to the fact that God selected certain unbelievers to be saved and others not, if ever. I don't think it does really ever, but I'd be willing to discuss some instances. But we've talked about calling, haven't we? What is calling? Well, pastor, you're the one that has a calling. You're preaching. You're a pastor. Nope. I mean, yes. But is that what all calling refers to, brethren? This passage tells me that all brethren and cisterns, brethren, y'all are included in the cisterns, and cisterns are included in the brethren. I don't know what we call sisters, sisters, brothers and sisters, all of it together, right? I really wish Epistle was wife of the apostle because that would be easier to remember, right? <laughs> Includes all of you, all believers. You have a calling. You have a calling, a vocation, a ministry. And it's in that context that you are commanded to supply all that big, long list of things. You're commanded to serve, to serve a certain way according to all the things that God has granted you for life and godliness, ultimately resulting in agape-type sacrificial love for one another. That's how that is. But remember, they're exegetical, appositional. What does it mean to say calling and choosing appositionally? Well, it means that God selected you for a job and selected the job for you. He called you to do it, and he chose you to do it. See, if you're like me, you've done a lot of different things in your life. Anybody? I find this is actually odd. People don't do a lot of different things in their lives. I can't help it, actually. I've tried to stop it. I can't tell you how many times. I can't tell you how many times I've told Priscilla, I wish I didn't know how to do all that crap because then I had an excuse not to do it. And it's driving me crazy having to take care of all that. A lot of people don't. They just do their one thing. 
But remember, we talked about the long list of things that you're to, you need to be doing something the best that you know how, the arete, and then you need to use that to gain knowledge. It's because you can't fail and learn from the failure if you're not doing anything. So you gain knowledge by failure. You gain knowledge by pursuing excellence, failing, and then modifying. This is where people give up in church a lot. It's partly our fault. It, it is. We have a real problem. We need warm bodies. What we mean is we need childcare workers, nursery workers, deacons, elders. Heck, we need pastors. God, send us somebody who's alive and not awful. Didn't work, did it? I'm alive and awful, but here I am. I'm your alive and awful, though, aren't I? Anyway, we do that to people. But, guys, you need to understand, it's not all <laughs> the way we recruit. You learn from failing at something. Y'all think that I don't do children's ministry because I don't like children. No. I don't do children's ministry because I love them. And I did it before. Yeah. Vocationally, for a time. But I wouldn't know that if I didn't fail. You need to be certain about the vocation, the job that he's given you, he's chosen you. Because he doesn't stick you in a lane with blinders on and say, do this thing. Does he? Has he ever done that? Ever? No, you can choose. You know why? Because you need to know what your calling isn't in order to be certain of what it is. It's okay. And that's on you. Remember, you don't, you're not producing everything for life and godliness, but you possess it, and God says, supply it this way. And so that process is on us. It's on us. It's for our good. It's for our joy. He chose it for us, the vocation and the ministry. He chose it for us, and he chose us for it. That's what this is talking about. Because I know, I know, I know, because I just had it thrown back at me a couple of weeks ago, that this is about going to heaven when you die. That the validity of your faith in Jesus Christ that justifies you is confirmed by your behavior. Listen, if you come to me and say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die, I have one answer for you and only one answer because the Bible only has one answer. Jesus only has one answer. And that is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Then Jesus says you have eternal life. This is the wrong answer if that's the question. I don't think Peter is answering that question. Peter is answering the question, how do you know if you're being useless? You'd rather ask the question about, how do I know if I'm going to heaven when I die, wouldn't you? Because then you don't have to do anything, right? But that's not the question. And the, the, that's the nature of the question, right? If you believed in Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven when you die. It's supposed to be that cut and dried. 
you are not supposed to wear your butt out in this life. Excuse me. No, forget it. Don't excuse me. You're not supposed to wear your butt out in this life trying to figure out whether you're going to heaven when you die or not. You're supposed to believe in Jesus and let him do that part and then do what he says. The rest of Scripture calls that abiding in Christ, calls it resting. You're supposed to know who you are and do what he says to do, and that's abiding or resting in Christ. That's what we're saying. This, that's what this is about. Be certain. And you ought to be eager about that. You ought to be eager to be a good steward of the life that God has given you and me. To be eager to determine, to make certain, to validate that I'm doing what God wants me to do in this life. How do I know that? I mean, how do I know <laughs> that that's what it's talking about? I, I think I already explained a good bit of it, but we can do more because I know you've had decades telling you otherwise, haven't you? Nobody acknowledged, nobody said yes. Y'all are a bunch of fibbers. I know y'all were raised in Bible teaching churches. That doesn't mean they weren't dead wrong about this one because almost so many are. How do I know that? Well, he says it. This is contingent. If you do those things, you will never stumble. That's what he says. For as long as you do, practice is probably an expansive translation. As long as you do them, you will never stumble. Now, guys, I'm accident prone. Y'all know that? You did know that. Y'all can say yes. It's okay. I'm admitting it to you. I'm accident prone. It's the... I. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's because I do a lot of things that just pop into my head, right? I, I do. And then I go do them and realize, oh, that's why they wear a helmet when they do that. Right? So maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just adventurous and accidents come along. I don't know. My wife tells me I'm not boring, but so many other people tell me I am boring. I just don't know what I am. But listen, we have... Y'all, probably every Sunday you wonder whether I'm going to fall off these steps, don't you? Yeah? Because sometimes I do this. You know? Or I come over here and I hang my boots off of the edge like this. I'm going to fall. So let me ask you about this illustration. When I fall flat on my face off this stage, which could happen at any moment, who fell off the stage? Does my driver's license change? Did my retina change? Probably need to have them checked if I fell off the stage, but they didn't change. My fingerprints will still be the same. My fingers will still be way crooked on my left hand and far straighter on my right hand. You'll still be able to tell who I am as they load me in the back of the ambulance for my 10th concussion of my life or whatever. You don't stumble in your identity. Your identity doesn't change because you fell on your face. That's the illustration. What do you stumble in? 
your walk. That's your life. That's the way it's good. Peripateo, that's what, as you go about your life, as you walk through your life, the decisions that you make. Your identity doesn't change when you stumble. Your face may look different when you get picked back up, but your identity is the same. That's the text. My identity is secure. It doesn't require a big, long list of things that I have to follow to secure my identity. It does keep me from stumbling. This is what I should be doing in my life, and I can stumble in that. Yes? Yeah. It won't hurt my feelings to admit that. Get past hurting your feelings, guys, when people tell you, you know, you should have done something maybe a little different. The answer as to what I should be doing is something that God has given me rather expansive freedom so that I can grow in discipline and the exercise and the gifts that he's given me so that I can narrow and be certain of what he has called me to do in this life, what he chose for me to do, and be useful. And I need to be diligent. But again, if someone comes to me and asks me, I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven when I die, and I catch you reading them the first 11 verses of 1 Peter, you need... you. You're asking for trouble from me. That's not the answer. The answer is simple, and Jesus gave it to us. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? The answer is yes, then you possess eternal life. You're justified. You are in him. And if you don't, then you don't much too important of a question to have ambiguity on. Agreed? We need to be as clear and as simple as Scripture is, as Jesus is. It's a great comfort. Let's read verse 11. This needs some explanation too. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, Josh, see that? That tells you you're dead wrong. You need to go drive a trash truck because you screwed up. I get told that sometimes. Sometimes I tell that to myself. What is this? Entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, it has more than just comfort to offer that you can avoid falling flat on your face in this life if you're validated and are certain of what God has chosen you for and called you to do in this life. That's an immediate temporal benefit. But it has a future and permanent benefit in that the entrance into the eternal kingdom, he says, will be abundantly, plusios, supplied to you. Now, again, it sounds entrance into the kingdom. You, you will go in and find, you could, maybe you don't, but you could go find some recordings where we make 
a biblical distinction between entering into the kingdom and inheriting the kingdom. That's a common distinction that we have to make in Scripture. Entering into the kingdom is something that every believer receives by virtue of their identity in Christ. Inheriting the kingdom is a position of rulership, shared rulership in the kingdom, which is a reward. You need to keep that in mind. Some of y'all seem like you have forgotten that. Okay, remember it. There's a difference. You know this. I used to be in real estate. Yep, weird kind of real estate, but real estate it was. We did tax lien and sheriff sales primarily, investing in that type. And so it was exciting. That was the only job I've ever been in that somebody shot at me on purpose, right? That was exciting uh, doing that because these houses are supposed to be vacant, but they're under duress, right? They don't, they're not always as vacant as they're supposed to be. And you walk in, and Uncle Cletus thinks that you have no right to be there. Uncle Cletus might put some lead in your rear end because you've entered the house, but you haven't inherited it. You don't own it. You don't rule it. It's not yours. You know the difference. The word doesn't even mean the same thing in English. If you're a member of El Paso Bible Church, in a very real sense, this is your building. If you're a visitor, no offense visitors, it's not. You're welcome to enter it. You're welcome to enter it. But legally, that's, you're not a part of the, the legal entity that owns it, administers it, rules it. We know that. So what is the difference here? He's talking to brethren. Brethren are guaranteed the entrance into the kingdom. Well, you need to understand what's being promised is a character of entrance into the kingdom, not entrance into the kingdom. It's abundantly supplied entry. Joyful celebrated entry. And, and I used to think that this was kind of, I'm not sure that it's not. You may get a parade. I don't know. If you do these things faithfully, make certain of the choosing and calling. You may. Not everybody is guaranteed the same experience in the kingdom. That's another one that gets people's goat. Just stop. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of verses that would tell me that the rewards that believers receive are, are different than some others. No problem. I don't have a problem with that. Can't see the scripture does either. It may be the celebration that you encounter, but I think actually it is in our understanding as we enter. Because what God is asking us to do is a process, yes? He's asking us to believe that he's provided everything we need for life and godliness. You believe that, don't you? I hope so by now. That you believe that you have everything that you need for life and godliness. 
that you are commanded to wisely exercise those provisions according to his plan in the list to ascertain and to be certain of the job that God has given you in this life. Now, I can say it that simply, and I just did, but you would be foolish to think that that is that simple or maybe easy. Easy to say, isn't it? There are some promises that you need to bring into parallel with that, right? If you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer (laughs) in this life. It's full of suffering. First Peter told us it's better to suffer for doing what is right. It's better. Why might that be? Because in the moment that we enter into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we understand the worthiness of our suffering. For the first time. For the first time ever in our existence as human beings, in my, my opinion. Can you understand the benefits of suffering in this life? Probably more academically, right? Hypothetically. I can think when another believer treats me like trash, I can think God is going to do something good in that, but sometimes I don't see that. When it will be impressed upon me the worthiness of the things that I have suffered for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ will be at that moment. All at once as I see it. All at once. You better be in your glorified state to be able to take the weight of that glory, (laughs) I think. In that moment. The parade may happen, I don't know. That's how a lot of people describe it. But for an introvert like me, y'all realize I'm an introvert, right? I'm a professional extrovert. Natural introvert. (laughs) Introvert like me, the parade sounds like horrible. For somebody who's my size, right, I really hate to even be noticed when I walk into a room full of people. I can't avoid it. My head is this big. What am I going to do? But to understand it's at that moment the divine certainty, communicate revelation of the worthiness of the things that we have endured in this life successfully. For each of us, I understand that to be the best thing that we could possibly want in that day. It may not be the same. I don't think it is the same for everybody. God created you in a way that will be, I think, perfectly in a glorified way projected into eternity. Like in the United States, right, we treat introverts like, there's some, like they were screwed up. Yes? Introverts unite. Go home. Be by yourselves. Right? You're not screwed up. God created you in a way, I believe, that will be projected into your glorified state. Are there going to be 
glorified introverts or is it going to be just a big pile of cheerleaders everywhere? I don't think so. I think Jesus was an introvert, not to put too sharp a point on it. Do we need to go back to the Gospels and point out all the times that the crowds exhausted him and he went off by himself? That's like every Monday. Every Monday. (laughs) God is going to glorify you. Be a glorified version of the person he created. So we need to believe that. That today we can't see the worthiness of everything that he asks us to do, but we will be, and it will be profound, nearly overwhelming in the abundant entrance into the kingdom. We need to believe that he's given us everything, everything to have that experience in the future, that he's given us instructions for applying those gifts and good things. And we need to use them so that we can be certain of our vocation in this life. First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter to this point. Second Peter 1, got the numbers reversed. Profound message to me. One day he has the perfect, absolutely perfect and personal reward for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the specific nature of it. We thank you that it was written in human language that we can each understand. Uh, We don't have to depend on an interpreter of a secret language that's never been seen on the earth, but we simply can understand how the word works, how you used it, through the men you used to write it, and embrace your promises today. Father, thank you for that, for the life that we have in your Son most of all. And it's by his name we pray. Amen.
God bless you.